tonight I'm going to share some things with you that the Lord placed in my heart. It's a little, as I was talking about faith earlier, and I still want to get back to that and many other subjects we've been addressing, but I was thinking today about how we can, our face, our face and features actually express the person that we are. We wear it. We wear that. Even in our continents, people can tell oftentimes much about our journey and a lot of times even where we stand and uh, our position spiritually oftentimes is actually given expression through and by our countenance. But let's begin, first of all, let's look at what the scripture says in relation to Christ so that we can understand something of what he is all about. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give light, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we read this, we come to understand something of what Christ might have looked like or what he does look like and how he would have such an impact upon the lives of the people that he encountered. And, and I believe that that ought to be the desire and the will of each and every one of us so that people can just pass us by without being affected by what they see coming forth out of us. Here it says, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. When he talks about that darkness, he's speaking about these vessels of clay, how fragile we are, how insignificant we are in and of ourselves. But then he says, but God is his light in the and, and in placing that light within these vessels of clay, it is saying that then what happens, something happens from the inside out. It is the light of the glory, of the knowledge of the glory of God that begins to shine forth in our hearts. And that's the very light that would be, was shining in the face of Jesus Christ. So in other words, his face is actually reflected within our hearts. And when that, his face is reflected within our hearts, then we exude the very presence of God in all that we, wherever we go. And, and we talk about, um, the title I'm using is Face and Features of a True Believer. We're talking about the face and features of a true believer. His face, his face is what we're talking about. We talk about the face of God. And uh, we understand that uh, that's, a, that's amazing to think about it. His face, uh, this, this inner light that we have received uh, that speaks beyond words. Because, in fact, it speaks without words. We have a message that is being delivered just by bringing the presence of the Lord in places that we go. 
when they see Christ in us, you understand you've already preached. You hadn't said a word, but just your presence, bringing the presence of the Lord in the places that you go, is a message in and of itself. You probably didn't know that, what you carry, what you carry. You carry the presence of the Lord in the places that you go into. And when you realize that, you come in with that kind of confidence, and you come in with that, uh, that knowledge of that, that your life is, in fact, there to make an impact. But here's another thing I want you to understand. That doesn't just happen. It happens as a result of spending time with God. Don't think you're just going to be at a place you carry the presence of the Lord just because you'd like to carry the presence of the Lord. But no, it happens as a result of spending time with the Lord. When you begin to spend time, I'm talking about serious time. We're talking about being at a place where you begin to make him your priority. You want to know him. You desire to know him. And, and then you begin to think about him all day long. I, I understand all the more what that scripture means when it says pray always. Because what happens, it's not always in the activity of prayer as we think prayer to be. Where we are saying, well, I'm going to stop and do some things. No, but having a prayer within your heart at all times. Where you're communing with God on a regular basis. And, and then I find it to happen even when I'm asleep. My wife tells me all the time, she said, you know you talk in your sleep. She says, good thing you, you don't have any secrets because you talk in your sleep. And I said, what do I say? She, she said, most of the time, I said, what word do she, I use? She said, this is the word you use the most. She said, the word you use the most while you sleep, she's watching this now, is wow. <laughs> I don't hear it. I didn't hear myself say it. She said, just saying wow. So when she said that, I was thinking, I said, so apparently... The Lord is showing me some things that's amazing to me, some things that's overwhelming to me for me to continue to say throughout my time of, 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 of when I'm not even thinking that I'm at a place of saying, wow. And I, and I said, well, that's all right then. That's all right. But that's what she was saying. But, but understand what God does. As we spend time with him, as we begin to meditate upon the word of God, then he will be in your heart and your mind even when you're subcon in your subconscious mind, when you're asleep. You're still thinking about him. In fact, some of my best sermons are preached not in the pulpit, but in the bed while I'm asleep. <laughs> and my wife, I think I told you one time, I usually sometimes have to uh, get up under the cover and write down what the Lord is saying because I begin to say, I said, I don't want that to slip by. I want to, to, to register this insight that God had, in fact, given me at that particular moment. But, but understand what God is doing. It's, it hasn't always been this way. It hasn't always been this way. All of us were once at a place where there were other things on our minds other than the Lord. And then there are many that are still there where there are other things on their minds other than the Lord. And, and you think about that. You dream about that, you see, and what it does, it expresses itself in and through your continents. Your face begins to tell who you've been around. You start looking at a particular thing. You begin to look at it long enough. You begin to act and think like whatever you've been associating with. You start looking like it. Now, you know that by 
by, in marriage in particular, people tell you you look alike. The reason you've been talking with each other for such a long time and you've been communicating, communing with one another uh, with such a long time that you start looking alike. You start looking alike. And that's what happens because if you're not communing, if you're not having uh, those conversations, in marriage we talk about intimate connections and relations with one another, then you won't start looking as much alike. In fact, it's difficult for you to be on the same page. In fact, you begin to see distance uh, begins to develop between the both of you. And, but the same thing applies in every area of our lives. It happens within family. If the family is not communicating or communing with one another, we begin to see a distance growing between. If you get to the place where uh, in church, if we're not at a place where we are communing with one another, distance will begin to develop between us. And as a result of that, it will be virtually, it's very difficult then to actually get what God is trying to give you. You see, when that communion and that communication is not the way it's supposed to be, then you best believe that which is supposed to be yours, or what's supposed to get through to you, it becomes very hard to get there. Uh, to get there. Now, I want, this is my desire, I want God's Word to be so deeply embedded within me that people can see the message as clearly as hearing the message. I want them to see it. I want them to see it. I don't want to just, you see, uh, I like that straight statement, Augustine, that, that preach always, but when necessary, use words. But understand, I want people to see the message. I want that message to be so strong within me that people can see it. Now, now understand, we talk about looks. Looks can be deceptive. Looks can be deceiving. And I'm going to talk about that after a while because you can project an image but we're talking about the true self, the true being, where you're at a place where you are actually exuding the presence of the Lord. And, and, and we understand that the false, the false part of that, where the scripture even talks about how uh, you can be at a place where you can begin to try to give expression in one thing, but yet be another way. In, in, in fact, in that, when people are at a place where they're trying to uh, project an image, you see, oftentimes they go overboard in their expression. They go overboard in their expression because what happens, the, the image that they're trying to project is not real. But, but when it's real, when it's real, then you don't have to force it. It's who you are and it's where you are at all times. So now we're talking about at a place where we begin to see what has happened, we understand that is the forging of one's character. And, 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 and there are certain things, the Bible talks about things that becometh a saint. You see, certain things that become a saint. And, and you know, I, I, here's when we think about sin, I begin to look at sin this way, when we sin against God, regardless of what that sin is. I know most of the time sin is as a result of ignorance. It's always a result of ignorance. A person doesn't understand fully what he or she is doing. So as a result of that, the person sins. But I begin to think about sin from this uh, point of view. Is that a person gets in a place where they do not see God 
the way he really is. They do not view God the way he really is, but they, as a result of what they think they see, they form an opinion as to how God is, and as a result of that. So now, when God himself is presented, and he doesn't measure up to their perspective of him, you see that, then what happens, they reject God and begin to embrace their own perspective as being their God. That's idolatry, really. And, and I began to wonder, I was having a conversation today with a pastor, and we were talking about this very thing. I was saying, I had breakfast. I said, look, look, this is what happens when we come to a place whereby we are concerned or, or, or we begin to misjudge a particular person. I said, we're talking black and white now. I said, uh, I said, you don't really know. You don't know our culture as much as we know our culture. And I don't know your culture as much as you know your culture. I said, but there are certain things that we may observe, and as a result of it, our prejudices will begin to develop based upon our opinions of a particular people based upon what we've observed. So as a result of that, that's not the, I said, but it takes conversation like we're having. It takes interaction as we're having this interaction in order to really come to the place of knowing one another. But here's what happens. And as we come to know each other, what it does, it, it crushes those uh, stereotypes. It gets rid of all those stereotypes. And we come to the place of understanding instead of pigeonholing people and saying, this is how these people are, that's how people are. We come to the place of valuing people as being people. Now, I don't want to get into that because there's a whole other subject on this, but I want to stay on this one. But this is what happens. The same thing happens to God. People have the wrong impression of God, and they find themselves rejecting God and embracing that image that they have of him. And that image is sure to disappoint them. And when the image disappoints them, guess what? God to them has disappointed them. And, and what happens now, they're turned off with God because God did not measure up to their standard. Rather than them embracing the standard of God, they begin to build a God in their own image. Now, we look at the character. I want to talk about this characteristics and the character of Christ, the character of God, and the characteristics we begin to see them in the face, reading the face, reading the face, what's happening. Not just what we see, but also seeing into, we see, have discernment. I, I, I began to study some books on body language. And you know the experts in body language, can, they still cannot, uh, they, they cannot fool the others that, uh, let's say a person that's testing them. I think I've heard something about one person was an expert in body language. He, committed a crime, and they said, uh, uh, you know, they said you twitch your hand a particular way, the way you move your foot, and, and there are certain eye movements and all of that. He said, but this person being an expert, but he still could not control his body language, so his body language was still telling that he was guilty. Now, you would think him being an expert, if anybody would know how to hold this thing under control would be a person that's an expert in body language. But let me tell you something. You can have knowledge of body language, but you still cannot control the, 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 the I would say, those things that are yet telling. 
That's, you talk about lie detection uh, equipment and all of that. There are certain telltale signs that will still expose you for who you are. You cannot control your body language. So now what happens is the same thing, the face, the face, the countenance. You talk about the best lie detector is the face, is the face. Shakespeare said that the eyes are uh, the windows of the soul. They said when you look into one's eyes, it is called, the, they says, he says it's like the windows of the soul. Uh, uh, what happens, I remember when I would do things, uh, I might have told this sometime before, but when I do something wrong and they say, well, uh, who did it? Was it you, Sheila? Was it you, Gail? Was it you, Myron? They began to call, roll call, dad. And then he said, look at, look at his eyes. <laughs> look at his eyes. Say, he's guilty. He's guilty. Say, it's showing all in his face. Say, he's done something because it's showing his eyes. And sure enough, I, I, I could buck, my eyes were buck. I said, I didn't do it. He said, look, we know he did it because, <laughs> because his eyes are telling. He's telling the story. But now, when it comes to uh, this whole thing of receiving from the Lord, what God does, there's a glow that a saint has. A saint has a particular glow. There's a glow. We understand what has happened. God has placed something within a person. I'm from a true believer. Where that person begins to glow. And, and, and understand, uh, oftentimes, have you walked into people, people say, you must be a Christian. Christians can identify, oftentimes can identify Christians. Say, you must be a Christian. You must be saved. Now, sometimes it could be without conversation. A person just smiling or whatever or standing alone said, something, I've said it many times. I said, something about you is different. Something about you is different. I can't put my finger on it, but it's different. He said, are you I would ask people, are you a Christian? Did, have you given your heart to the Lord? They said, funny you would say this. I'm a minister. <laughs> I said, Lord, look, it, it was, I could just see it in your face. I could see it in your face. And, and, and that happens a whole lot. You walk into those places, people can look in your, into your countenance, and they can pretty much tell whether you are or whether you aren't. But let me tell you something else. And when you walk outside of the covenant of God, I'm not talking about your laws. But you begin to act up or move in a direction that's away from God. Guess what? You lose your glow. You lose your glow. They say, you're not glowing the way you used to glow. There's something different about, just like you said, different about you in a positive. You look at that person and say, something different about you. Say, I used to look at you and you, you were just glowing. But look like something has happened. You're light. I don't see that light in you anymore. I don't see it in your eyes any longer. Something has happened. You know what happened? Even if the person didn't tell the truth, what has happened, you begin to see that that person is no longer walking in victory because he or she has walked away from the Lord. So what I begin to do is look at that, and I said, well, let's begin to look into that, what God does when we are walking in victory, we're walking with the Lord, he gives us inner peace. He gives us inner peace. The Bible says he gives us his peace. His peace. The Bible says it is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is his peace. My peace I give you. My peace I leave. So we have peace with God, but then we have the gift, the peace of God. And there's something about a, a, a believer that has the peace of God within him, this inner peace. 
whatever he or she may be going through, you can still tell that that peace is there. There's a tranquility within the soul of an individual who has surrendered his or her life to the Lord. That's there. Even at the most troubled times, let's say even when the person's disturbed, they might be going through a thing at a particular moment, but somehow even when they're acting up and whatever, you can still tell. You said, you can tell them it's going to be all right because in their journey, that peace is still there, but the situation has troubled them at that particular moment. But you can still tell them, you say, you'll be all right because you see that anchor, that hope, that anchor is within them and God will bring that person uh, around. That there's this inner peace. And, and understand, the Bible calls it also, we talk about inner peace, he calls it the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. When he says the joy is different from happiness because happiness is when we feel good about a particular thing and then anything can happen to rob us of our happiness. And it's all gone. But the joy is a constant. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We're strengthened from within. Now, listen to what we're talking about. Here's what happens. We talk about people that are, we consider them to be successful without Christ. Now, I'm not talking about those who are successful in the Lord and still love the Lord. We're talking about somebody that feels they don't need the Lord, but they rely upon their, their, their celebrity or their resources, whatever. For the most part, people will begin to pay large monies to see them self-destruct, you see, because what has happened, they don't have the peace of God. They don't and understand the inner warfare, the warring that's taking place within their souls, and as a result of it, they may be real giddy. I, many comedians, remember some of the comedians we know uh, that were very popular, some have already died, but... but what happens, they can make a joke of, out of anything. And, 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 uh, but what happens on the inside? They're, they're being destroyed. They're being destroyed. They're burning from within. It's almost, it's, you see, because there's this warfare that's taking place within, and they begin to shroud or hide their lack of peace by all of these exterior things. But if you look into their eyes again, you begin to see, you said, Regardless of how much laughing you're doing and how much laughter you bring, in deep within your soul, I can see that you're still miserable. You see, now that's, see, that's what we're talking about as saints. We need to be at a place where we can see that. And I just think, oh, I'd love to be like him or love to be like her. But we must look beyond that and say, look, when I look into your eyes and I can see that, I can see that turbulence that's occurring within you. You, you, you see, I want to address that. I want to address that. I want you to, you, you see what I mean? I want you to know that regardless of your success and all the other stuff, you, that misery that you're experiencing, only God can remedy the, the issue that's taking place within your soul. So, so, so that's what God would have us do. And, and the joy of the Lord, he gives us then the joy of the Lord, which is at constant, so that uh, uh, we, we are... Uh, stabilized. You, you see, what happens, here's what happens. That's why the Bible says, worry, do not worry. Uh, what you shall eat, drink, what you shall, because worry robs you of your vitality. It robs you of, of your vitality. And let me tell you something else too. And it can shorten your life, your life on earth. 
because when you're worrying about a particular thing, you, you say, now what are you doing? You, you see, your peace then is being disturbed because now you're allowing this thing to go over and over and over again in your head rather than being at a place of having confidence in the fact that whatever is happening right now, that God has a future for you and hope for you. But, but, but worry uh, can begin to, and, and you can see when a person is worried, the continence begins to show the fact that they are, in fact, worried, worried. So, so, so I begin to ask the question, how do you get, how do you get, I, I will say delivered from, because we'll all have moments where we, we, we worry, we fret, and those kinds of things, even though we know that this isn't where we ought to camp, this isn't a place we ought to live. But I begin to look at it, I said, now what do we do in order to get to a place so that we're not overtaken by these particular things. Let me tell you something. It has a whole lot to do with our consecration, consecrating our lives, being consecrated before the Lord. Consecration. Uh, living a consecrated life. This word, we talk about consecrated life, that means, it talks about being, uh, consecrated life is a dedicated life. Understand that you have, you live your life in such a way that you have set yourself apart for God's exclusive use. You have set your life apart for God's exclusive use. So as a result of it, you live a consecrated life. Now, when we understand this whole thing of consecration, uh, the, the Bible uh, speaks of it as being circumcision. Circumcision, and, and it's not just the, we understood circumcision had to do with uh, the removing of flesh uh, from the reproductive organ. But we understand, it, it, it talks about, we talk about conse uh, consecrated life and being circumcised. In the New Testament, it helps us to understand our consecration here in Romans chapter 2, verse 28. 28 it says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Now we're talking about inner now. He said the circumcision of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So what he is saying is that as we begin to set ourselves apart and consecrate ourselves apart for God's exclusive use, that I belong to him. He is mine, and I am his. Understand, that has to be the, the basis for it all. I belong to God, and he belongs to me. He is, Jesus is in me, living in me. Now, understand this. So, therefore, I'm living a consecrated life because I want him to give full expression of who he is through me. You see that? That's what you want now. That's when you're living a consecrated life. So, so as a result of living a consecrated life, separated life at a place where you're saying, Lord, use me. I am available for you. Not, because all these other things now, you may think that these things are significant, these things are important, but oftentimes they can, can be the deflections that will draw you away from God. 
They can be things that you uh, see around you, things that are happening around you. What are the things that are that you can do without? What are the things that you might have placed God on the back burner for? But when you put God back into his rightful place and you begin to consecrate your heart and your life completely to him, understand what God does. He will cause a burning to take place within you. There's a burning that takes place within you. Now, this burning is very significant because what God is doing then, he begins to, as he, this burning takes place, he's burning out. You see, these things become less less significant to you uh, in the future. At one time, they were the most significant things. But God is, he he is burning. That's circumcision now. He's burning those things so that they are no longer as significant as they once were. Now now with that, and, and then as you do that, now more and more of Christ is being seen in you and through you. Why? Because he has to, you see, circumcision of the heart has to take place. The heart attached to, the heart attached to this thing, the heart attached to that thing, the heart attached to another. God is saying, what I need to do, I'll give you a burning desire, burning passion within your heart so that those things are no longer taking my place within your life. Those things are no longer occupying this time and space within your life so that I become your priority. I become the most important person within your life. That's what God is wanting. So so what happens as a result of that, then understand that burning and that separation now is going to cause more and more of Christ to be seen in you. You see, he, he is seen by you, but now more and more of Christ can be seen in you and through you. Remember Peter and John, they were ignorant and unlearned men. They were ignorant, and when I say ignorant and unlearned, they weren't educated. They weren't educated in any uh, institution. He says, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. They said, they've been hanging around with Jesus so much that they began to look like him. Not only look like him, they talk like him. They act like him. When you get around, you say, you remind me so much of Jesus. Even when, they try, when, when, when he tried to deny it, said, no, you, you, you Peter, you know, you, you've been around him. You, you, you're one of them, <laughs> you see. Because you've been around so much that you begin to pick up certain things from the one that you spend the bulk of your time with. So they begin to look like Jesus. So, so now what happens, they're receiving... They're receiving from the Lord. They're receiving from him. The same thing. That's why separation and isolation is so dangerous. Separation and isolation is so, so dangerous. When a person began to say, well, you know, now uh, I will opt out because something else has occupied my time, space, and attention. You know what happens? See, no longer the consecration now has been broken. The consecration has been broken. Now this thing begins to lose its significance. You see, the priority is those other things that you're preoccupied with, not the Lord. I can't make it any plainer than that. You see, the Lord is no longer your priority, but there are other things that become your priority, and the Lord is pushed back further and further and further and on the back burner, and eventually he becomes insignificant in your life. He becomes insignificant. And then you wonder. You said, you said and, and, and it's almost like Samson. You try to flex your muscles, and guess what? 
There's no strength there. There's no strength. The spiritual strength. And now you want to be spiritual. Now you want God to answer. You, you need him to do something. But you begin to call upon him. But the Lord says, what about the times when you ignored me? You neglected me. You weren't considering me. But yet you think I'm your genie in the bottle that when you want me that I'm going to answer. No, those that seek him diligently, those that, that, that hung and thirst for him, those are the ones that, that will begin to receive from him and receive the benefits. It's consecration, consecration. You, you can't put a strong enough emphasis upon being consecrated or living a consecrated life. Sometimes God would have uh, me, and I'm certain uh, you might have experienced this too, something you really like to do, and the Lord says, I want you to walk away from it. Have you, have you been there? Something you really want to do, just a test. God says, I want you to walk away from it right now. And I said, but what's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. I just want to see if I'm your priority. Do I mean more to you than this? And what has happened? Can, can you cut it off? Can you cut it off? Can you walk away from it? And, and you'll say, yeah, I can, because you don't think you ever have to. But then suppose God said, do it. Can you walk away? Can you, can you cut this off for a moment? Or has it become so much of a habit that there's nothing can, nothing can stand in the way of that particular thing? In our day, you just put it on, you just record it or whatever, it's TV something, and watch it later. But I'm saying, the Lord say, I want you to fast that right now. I want you to leave it alone completely. Can you do without what you have become so preoccupied with so that I can become your priority again. So, so I believe that in our day and time, especially after, as we are going through this pandemic, there's a need for restoration, the recovery. There has to be getting back to that place that many once were with the Lord and, and, and having that passion burning within their hearts, that desire that they once had for the Lord to be rekindled. That has to happen in many people's hearts because if it doesn't, you see, you keep pushing the Lord back. And then eventually you redefine him as being that which you have reduced him into becoming. He's no longer Lord of your life. He's a, 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 a uh, really a, something that you, when, you're, when it's convenient for you to do it, then you will spend time with him. And, and, and extracurricular activity. But, but God wants to be, he wants to be Lord. He wants to be Lord. That's what I talked about Sunday. He wants to be Lord of your life so that he becomes our priority. So, so we receive from the Lord, but then we must maintain what we have received from him. Don't let the enemy rob you of what God has, if I give you. Those who consecrate themselves must maintain their consecration, remain consecrated, maintaining their position as separate for God's exclusive use. Because if that's not the case, the question is, if you're not yielding to God, who's using you? You're being used. Who's using you? You're being used. And, and, and understand. And the question is, how are you being used? A consecrated life, you see. Here's what happens. There are those that will begin to say, well, we talk about the appearance of consecration. We're going to look like we're consecrated. We're going to, we're going to, you see, that's, and you find yourself projecting that image again. I got to show, you see, instead of true worship, it becomes a projection of, of activity that 
uh, is over the top. You see that. And, and, and we've, I, I, we've, we saw it many times in churches and where people that, that live loose lives, they get carried away. And I'm not talking to everybody shout, that everybody shout is, is that way. But you've seen them where they lose control. Uh, they lose control. They're just totally out. I said, boy, this must be the most spiritual person in the world. Because you cannot even control them. You, you got smelling salt. You're trying to get them to come to because they passed out. You're carrying them out. Y'all ain't seen that before, have you? You're carrying people out of the church because they, they've gone through these tizzies, gone through, and then you carry them out, and, and, and they still can't come to us. They have smelling salt at our church. Yeah, they with the nurses. They actually smell fanning them and all that kind of stuff. And then you say, well, a person with that much anointing, it can't be. That can't be a person that's living a loose life. And then in no time, after they finally come to, they go out and do whatever they want to do. And I said, well, how could you get that carried away in the things of God, supposedly? You know why? Because the extracurricular activity was a cover-up for what was lacking, what was deficient within their spiritual experience. Are you, I hope you see what I mean. So, so, so the same thing. Anytime when something is not real, if it's not real, then there's this tendency of overextending, overaccentuating a particular thing. You go be accentuate, you go beyond the, the measure. So, so what happens? Uh, uh, it becomes a smoke screen, smoke screen uh, of, of hypocrisy. It's the artificial uh, that, that projects an image. And what happens usually is filled with boastfulness, people boasting in, in the image that they are projecting, you see. Exaggerating, it's exaggerated. This is what happens even when it came to King Saul. Saul was, I mean, looked like a king. Tall, robust. I mean, when he walks into, I mean, he had presence. Paul, Saul would walk into a room and you could pretty much tell who the top dog was because he looked just like a king. He acted like a king. He spoke like royalty. You, you see, that's the kind of image that he projected. And, and, and then we begin to look at this king. He was anointed as king. In fact, God allowed them, since they wanted a king, God allowed them to have the biggest and the best that the world could offer them. And he was anointed as king. But, but then, you know what happened to Saul. Saul had a, a defect. His defect was this. He said, when God told him to do something, he would hold back on what God told him to sacrifice. What God told him to sacrifice. So, so when he began to hold back, he held back even those that God told him to destroy. He held back some of the sheep and all the other stuff. So when all these things began to happen, understand the anointing that was on Saul was removed. And, and you see, David was anointed. So, so then the people would look at it and say, how could this happen? You let a shepherd boy take the place of this giant of a man. And then it says, he says uh, uh, that man looks at the outward appearance. He looks at what things appear to be. He said, but God looks at the heart. He looks at a little ready-faced shepherd boy. And he said, he is much more of a king that Saul would ever be. And that's what we're talking about. So, so, so what happens, the exterior oftentimes can be a cover-up for the defects that, that are really there. 
So a true Christian, we talk about a true Christian can afford to just be. To just be who he is. You, you, you follow that? A true Christian can afford to just be. You have to project any image, have to act a particular way. You can just be. You can be like Robert over here. <laughs> just be. You see, you, you get up and say, you see, you can just be. You could just be. It, it doesn't require. You say, well, I need to act like, I need to act like Pastor Walker. No. You can be Robert. You can be Robert. And guess what? And God can use Robert better as being Robert than he could ever use him as being Woodrow. Am I making sense here? See, God has a way. God has a way. God has a way. There's something about Robert that God knowledge of and God desire to use based upon what he has placed within him. So now what happens, so he says, be Robert, be Elder Robert. Now watch this here. He says, but in being Robert, then I'm going to, as we mentioned the other day, I'm going to show you how to be the best Robert that you can be. I'm going to show you how to be the best Robert you can be, but I can never show you how to be the best Robert you can be if you're trying to be something other than Robert. But if you be who you is and not what you ain't, <laughs> then you ain't what you is. <laughs> so God uses us in a very special, unique way. If we just, you see what he's saying? He's saying it's not that we're just at a place where we are content within ourselves, but we're at a place you say, Lord, I want you to make me the best me that I can be. I want you to work on me so that I can give an expression of what you had in mind when you made me who I am. And, and, and there, that, that's what happens. So it, that's why I'm not a copycat preacher. You, you see what happens? You say, well, it works for him. It works. But, but he got one of those already. He doesn't need two of them. I don't have to change my voice and act like I'm somebody that I'm not. You know, we know folk that everybody they're impressed with, they begin to pick up their language and whatever. Yeah, do that. Be who you is and not who you ain't. Now, now here's, uh, let me give you another scripture here. We talk about appearances. Uh, we talked about the outward. We talk about continents and everything else. But now, this may sound like it's, an, uh, it's a contradiction, but it's really not. It helps you to understand even those things that appear to be contradictions, if you really begin to dig into them, you'll see that they're not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him consider that this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about my authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, lest I should seem to terrify you by letters, 
for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we're absent, such we also be indeed when we are present. So, so it is saying that when they saw, they read Paul's letter, looked like Paul was a different person. <laughs> they said, man, you're strong <clears throat> when we read your letter. He said, but when you show up, you don't seem like you're the same person that we read you to be in your letter. Looked like you were saying more in your letters than, and, 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 than you do in person. He said, when we see you, look like you're weak and your speech is contemptible. But he said, but your letters are weighty and your letters are powerful. But he says, but such person, consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. He said, you ain't seen all that I am in person as of yet. So when you have to put the letter with the person, you said the same person that wrote the letter is the person that you found. Let, let me help you understand it this way. Let me help you understand this way. One time I was, I was at the bowling. We were bowling. Church, we were bowling. We were bowling together. First time I'd gone out with, with members to bowl. And this is many, many years ago. And uh, we were teaming up and, and, and as we were bowling. And, and then one of the people, one of the members, she's not here anymore, we can talk about it, said, said she said, now, uh, 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 Woodrow, uh, I, uh, you just withdraw now, it's bowling now, it's bowling uh, alley here, and said, and such and such, and start talking. Uh, not that I'm insulted by you calling my first name, by all means, no problem there. But I said, but if you can't see me as being the same person on the bowling alley as you do as being the person that you see in church, and we can't bowl together, you see. If you can't see me as being the same person when we out having fun, at a restaurant or at, at wherever, as you would see within church, then we can't hang. Because some people can't handle the face-to-face. -face. They can't handle personal, you see. They can't handle it. They say, well, I heard you. Man, you're a powerful man when you preach. But when you get together, man, we just kind of laugh and joke. And If you can't handle that, maybe that's not, we're not ready for that level. You see, you can't handle that. Because what happens, if you lose respect because of the fact that I let down among you. Am I, you making, am I making any sense here? I let down among you. And, and I just begin, I just, you know, you don't have to remind me that I'm Pastor Walker. I don't know I'm Pastor Walker. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to say anything that's outlandish. But at the same time, you see, uh, Jesus refreshed himself among his friends. Am I making sense here? Yeah. He refreshed himself. In other words, he, he laid out on the couch when he finally get to, to Lazarus' house and Mary and Martha. He just going to stretch out on the couch. He said, man, let me tell you something. It's so good. It's so good to lay out and to be at a place where I don't have any of the pressure where people are pressing me and wanting to be healed and wanting to be set free. And wanting, I can just kind of relax and we can just have conversation and just, you see, he refreshed himself among his friends. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. 
that when you, to be at a place. And the same thing, we understand we must do it among ourselves, but we must also get to the place where the Lord, Jesus Christ, can be himself with us and among us. That is not a formal relationship only. There are times when I talk to God in ways that, look, Lord, I really, I need to talk to you about something. It's very serious. But then there are times we talk to the Lord, said, Lord, you know, that was a funny thing. This thing happened the other day, and, and, and that happened, and, <laughs> you know. And, and, and I think that even the relationships we build with one another will carry over into how we relate to the Lord, how we relate to the Lord. So now, I'm almost done here. Take your time. Uh, uh, so, so now, we talk about consecration. I want to get back to that again. We, we, uh, we understand even when it comes to being uh, at a place where we are real and serious in our consecration, the Bible talks about even how people can supposedly consecrate themselves, but they go to all these formalities, and they make a big deal of it. They make a big deal of the fact that they're consecrating themselves. Well, I'm, I'm consecrating myself, therefore, you see. Uh, you probably heard me tell the story when we brought a speaker here. You remember Mandela Mapalala, first African pastor that came here from South Africa. He was preaching, and he stayed in our home. And Mandela Mapalala would pray all the time. He, on Sunday mornings, he'd be in the mirror shaving. So he's praying in tongues. So, so we don't, he don't want to speak. So we bring him into the church. He, he's, he don't want anybody, he'll wave us off. He's speaking in tongues. He's speaking in tongues. So we bring him in. We set him down. He's still speaking in tongues. And then he would stand before the people, and he would say, the fire of God. And everybody would just be so amazed. I said, boy, I want that. <laughs> I, want, I want that. I said, how do you get that? I said, so maybe it's in his consecration. Maybe it's God. I said, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So, so I start, Francine Tay, I start doing this I, I start getting in the morning, I'm shaving. And, and, and then the people would walk me into the church, and I'd wave them off. Don't sit in the middle. No, keep them away from me. Keep these people away from me. I don't want them to bother my anointing. I don't want them to touch the anointing. So I'm walking into the church, and I'm sitting there all waiting, and then finally it's time for me to preach. I got to be there. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I come to realize that I didn't have to be that formal in order to be anointed. I didn't have to be that formal to be anointed. So what I did, so, so then it wasn't that I just let down because I still believe in protecting and guarding the anointing and, and, and not to get involved in a whole lot of extracurricular activities. But, however, I learned not to be so formal as to say, don't touch me because you're touching me will, 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 will hinder the flow of the anointing. And I realized, would I be who God has called me to be and know, have confidence in the fact that I'm anointed? Guess what? The anointing flows, it begin to flow more freely. You see, it began to flow more freely because it was not a performance, but it was really that which was within me. Now, 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 this is what he says here. When they fast, here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like 
the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces so that they may appear to men to be fasting. You want to look like everybody know they're fasting because look at their faces. I'm fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Their reward is the fact that they have given you a, uh, the, the uh, performance. Or in other words, they have projected the image of being one that's consecrated. He said, but you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Do like you used to do. Comb your hair, wash your face, take a bath when you're fasting so that you do not appear to men as being fasting. Don't even look like you're fasting. But your father who is in, secret, in, in the secret place, uh, but to your father who is in secret place. He says, so everything you're doing, you're doing it unto the Lord. You're not doing it as unto men. You're not putting forth a performance so people will think and know that you are anointed, but you're doing it unto God and not to men. And he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what happens when we, we begin to, even living a consecrated life, you don't have to always announce the fact that I live a consecrated life. I live a consecrated life. I live a consecrated You got to announce that. It'll show up. It'll show up. You don't have to always announce it. Let me tell you something. You, you see, in other words, what you're doing, you're raising yourself above other people. You need to be consecrated like I'm consecrated. I don't know how consecrated you are. I don't know about your private life. I don't know about your private devotion. But, but understand what we're saying here is that we must live consecrated lives. And if we live a consecrated life, it will show up on our countenance and in our ministry. But if you're not consecrated, that will also be exposed. He said he spent no time before the Lord because all he does is just get up and jibber-jabber. He's just throwing out some stuff that's meaningless. You could tell. Or he's taking stuff out of a book and he's giving a book report. Or he's just talking about current events or something that's meaningless when it comes to spiritual things. That person is not consecrated because if he never gets a word from God, then that means he's not been talking to God. You see that? But when you get a word from the Lord, the way you get a word from the Lord is that you have to spend, you have to spend some time with him. He says, so now, when you do that, the Lord will reward you openly. Anything less than that is fronting. You see, you're, you're fronting. You're, you're, you're putting forth an appearance. Things indeed they have an appearance. The Bible talks about it in Colossians 2.20. Therefore, if you, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, do not touch. Let's not even go to that part. He says, according to commandment, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility. You got to tell everybody how humble you are. But I'm humble. I'm, I'm, your, I'm God's humble servant. I'm just so humble before the Lord. You see, that's false humility, neglect of the body. See, I don't do anything for myself, you see, but are of no value against the, the indulgence of the flesh. You see, what happens oftentimes, you see, they have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So we look at what happens when you begin to project that. That works against what God is going to do in your life. Uh, you have to understand, we talk about the glow again. Remember Adam, when Adam uh, sinned and when he uh, 
ate of the forbidden, he lost his glow. He lost his glow. And when he lost his glow, he hid himself. He began to hide himself. So understand. So a lot of this is really hiding. You hide behind false humility. You hide behind all these other things. You hide. You see, that becomes a camouflage for one to hide behind. If it's not real, what are you hiding? What are you hiding behind? You see, some uh, people that hide, that hide, people that cannot really show people who they really are, who they really are, they're hiding. They're hiding from something. They're hiding. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter, they're really hiding from God. Uh, they're hiding from God. And that's what happens. He began to, he ran, instead of communing with God in the cool of the day, he began to hide from God. God's question was, now the person that is a projecting an image of spirituality, the person, now we understand a person that's really walked away from God because he knows, she knows that they've sinned and now they're running. But we're talking about religion now, the people that hide behind religion. God is saying the same thing to him or her that he is saying to the person that's engaged in outright sin. In fact, I would say stronger to that person that's religious than the person that's outright sinning. The Lord is saying, to religious individuals today, Adam, where art thou? Where are you? Where are you? You, you, you see, are, 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 you, are, are you hiding? Are you hiding now? Are you afraid to be who I've called you to be? Or have you lost your identity so that you're no longer the person that you ought to be? The Lord says, where are you? Where are you? I believe that that's, we're getting close to the first of the month again. It's time for introspection. And it's time for self-examination. So that we can lose our self-life. So that we can find the life that God has for us. So, Father, we thank you so much for what you're sharing with us today. And Lord, I pray that even as we desire to look into, as we look into your face, as we look into the face of Jesus, may we be changed from glory to glory. May we, Lord, be transformed as it was on the Mount of Transfiguration and as it was with Moses to a degree that our face would shine. We thank you, Lord that this is what you offer us so that who we are and what we become will be expressed in our countenance, that it will show forth without effort, without us trying to push it forward, but it will just be there, that people will take note of us, that we've been spending time with you because it shows. Forgive us for those times, Lord, when we neglected you and ignored you. And my prayer, Lord, is that as we are saying this, that many will begin to repent and turn back to you. And in turning, we praise you and we can appreciate the fact that you won't turn any of us away, regardless of how far we might have strayed. That's how loving you are. 
So tonight we give you the honor, we give you the praise, and we give you all the glory for who you are. And we pray, Lord, for those who do not know you, Lord, that they will receive the gift of Christ Jesus, who gave his life for us, that we may live a life, first of all, that's forever, and a life that's fulfilling. And those that have strayed away, Lord, will they stop, may they stop running, may they stop their hiding, and may they say, Lord, here I am, here I stand. And as a result of doing that, how you will kill the fatted calf and you'll put a robe on their back and a ring on their finger, shoes on their feet so that they're completely restored into full fellowship again. So we thank you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.